Lamentations 3, verse 21. This I recall to my mind. For this reason, I have hope. Let's read that again. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. You need to remind yourself of some things today. You need to recall to your mind how good God has been to you. And for this reason, you can stand here in the house of God with hope today. Verse 22, he tells us what he recalls. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's been good to us. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good to them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let's thank him for his word today. Lord, we praise you for this opportunity that we have. I praise you, Lord, for what we are experiencing in this service today. Let somebody's hope be renewed. Let somebody's joy be restored, O Lord, in this place today. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. We come against every hindrance to your word. We loose now the power of your spirit and anointing God in this place. Lord, we bring every thought into captivity and we subject it, Lord, to the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm going to help the preacher preach today. God bless you. You can be seated. It, it is 2017, January 1. And there, it would be appropriate for us to bring some things to our minds. To recall some things so that our hope would be renewed. And then the writer in Lamentation says, this is what I recall and what restores my hope or the reason that I have hope. It is the Lord's mercy that I have not been consumed because his compassions or his love never fails. We are here today because of the mercy of God. Sister Mona has already testified that uh, many of us, and whether you, I had the, the privilege of testifying or not, there are many of us here today that if it hadn't been for the mercy of the Lord, we wouldn't be celebrating the beginning of a brand new year. God is good. And the reason His mercies are upon us are because His compassions fail not. It's because He loves you that He's merciful. And then the scripture says, they, his mercy and his love, they are new every morning. Every day, he's going to be merciful to you. Every day, he's going to love you. And then the writer says, the reason he can do this day after day after day. The reason he can do this every, somebody say every, every morning. Like clockwork, every morning, he's going to be merciful to you. Every morning, he's going to love you. It's because his faithfulness is great. 
It is impossible for God to change. What he is, he will always be. He was that, he is that, and he will be that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he ever had mercy on you yesterday, he'll have mercy on you today. And rest assured that he'll have mercy on you tomorrow. If he loved you yesterday, he can love you today. And no matter what happens, he'll love you tomorrow. Great is his faithfulness. Come on, somebody ought to praise him because his faithfulness is great. And then the writer said, it'd be good for you to talk to yourself. It would be good for your soul to say something. The writer says, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. For this reason will I hope in him. The Lord is my portion. The new president is not my portion. The economic outlook is not my portion. The security of our, uh, of our defense systems is not our portion. The price of gasoline, whether I'm packing a firearm or I've got protection and you just go on and name all the things that you think provide you security. The Lord is your portion. If you lose that, you lose your hope. If you lose that, you've lost everything. The Lord is your portion. The Lord is your help. The Lord is your strength. The Lord's name is a strong tower. He's a rock on which we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. The Lord is good to them that wait for him. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's time for you to wait. It's good for a man to both hope and quietly wait. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. But we commit on this first Sunday of January in 2017 that we're not only going to hope in you, but we're going to wait on you. <laughs> I'd like to declare to you, and, and I may just bring up a few pointers from Wednesday night just to appetize those that weren't here. And for the, <laughs> somebody say amen. And I understand there were probably a lot of things going on. But I would like to say to you that I believe we're in the last days of the church. 1948, Israel became a nation. 2018 celebrates 70 years from when that happened. 1967, Israel took control of Jerusalem. And in 2017, this year in fact, that'll be 50 years since that took place. Jesus said when you see the fig tree bud, so whether you figure the fig tree is Israel becoming a nation or them having a capital city, whatever your deductions are, I believe the scripture says this generation shall not pass until all be fulfilled. I believe the Lord is coming back soon. I said I believe the Lord the Lord said when you see that fig tree bud, it's time for you to wake up. Turn your neighbor and tell him it's time for you to wake up. This week, our Secretary of State said that there can be no peace in the Middle East without a two-state solution. And he went on to outline a number of points that would cause peace to happen in the Middle East. And it was that fourth principle that got my attention when he began to state, and I quote, Principle four, provide for peace, it's to provide an agreed solution for Jerusalem as the internationally recognized capital of the two states. And he's speaking of Israel and the Palestinians or the Arabs. 
and I continue to quote, and to protect and ensure freedom of access. Everybody say freedom of access. To the holy sites, everybody say holy sites. That simply means the temple, consistent with the established status quo or the establishment of these two nations. He basically just said, and I cut to the chase, that we, we not only see the need of both of these people uh, coming to an agreement to coexist. He said, we see the need for an agreement of a holy site where both of these peoples can worship. I want to tell you we're getting really close to what Daniel quoted in Daniel chapter 9 as an agreement being made and sacrifices being able to be restored in Jerusalem. We're getting very close to that. And Jesus quoted that in Matthew chapter 24. He said when you see this happen, you need to be aware of how quickly it's about to shut down. He said when you see this begin to happen, you need to know that there's a time about to happen that's worse than any other time it'll be labeled the great tribulation I would like to tell you the bride is getting ready to leave here if you want to stay here for all that trouble that's your business but you'll leave here today with a message ringing in your ears the Lord Jesus is coming back and it's time to make your house ready come on somebody clap your hands under the Lord The problem today that I feel in the Holy Ghost, the Lord led me to Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If you get a newsletter today, uh, you'll, you'll read about this in an article I put in the newsletter. But I feel a danger as we approach the quick return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is coming quickly. I felt the Holy Ghost speak to me in the last few days that I'm not giving you enough comfort as a pastor. Be sure and full aware that I begin to ask the Lord, how could I be a better comfort? And the Lord led me the words of Paul where he said, comfort one another with these words. He's not talking about hold your hand while you're having surgery. That's important. He's not talking about bringing over bags of groceries when the cabinets are bare, but that's important. The Bible says the greatest comfort we can have is to remind one another that Jesus is about to come back. So I rise to this pulpit today to bring comfort to this congregation. Jesus is about to split the eastern sky. Don't give up hope. Don't quit now. Don't stop now. Don't get unfaithful now. Don't bail out now. Oh, come on. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Haggai chapter 1 verse 5 through 6 though. This is where I believe we are if we're not careful. I speak to folks here today and I move very quickly. Haggai chapter 1 verse 5. Now therefore say, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat but you have not enough. But you have not enough. Oh, my Lord. That's a good sermon to preach after Christmas holidays. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, you, you clothe yourself, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. How many would say, man, I felt that way a few times. I feel like I'm planting stuff and nothing ever comes up. I feel like I eat and I never get enough. I drink, I never get enough to drink. I put on clothes, I'm not warm enough. That Well, <laughs> You earn wages, you go to work, and you get a paycheck, but it seems like you're putting it in a bag with holes in it. How many know what I'm talking about? Haggai is talking to a group of people. Israel 
had been taken into captivity. And the Bible tells us through the prophets, in fact, Isaiah was one of them, prophesied that they would return, that God would bring them out. And Israel, uh, the Bible tells us, they, 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 they come out of, of, of bondage. They were, they were enthusiastic. They were excited. And the Bible tells us that somewhere all that enthusiasm began to fail. And Haggai had a problem. He didn't know how to get the movement moving again or to get the enthusiasm back. A nation had went to sleep years before. This nation had been captured, carried away in despair. They lost their hope. In fact, in Psalms 137 verses 1 and 2, we find where their emotional state is documented. Alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks. We cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. Alongside the quaking aspens, we stacked our unplayed harps. Verse 4, oh, how could we ever sing God's song in this wasteland? There was a deep melancholy, a deep frustration that had shattered all the, the hopes and aspirations of Israel. Circumstances had risen and overwhelmed them. They were wallowing in failure. They were discouraged. But those same discouraged captive people were released by the mighty hand of God. They were happy. They were thrilled. Revival was in the air. We need that right now in 2017. Thousands had turned their backs on material comforts and personal prosperity. They said, you know what? We just want to be free. And God set them free. They turned their faces back toward the barren hills of Judah. And they were off to fight the good fight of faith. They were thrilled. Oh, how excited they were. But suddenly the flame began to die. And it will die in your heart also if you don't fan the flames. I came today to blow on the coals this morning. Some of you in your religious history, your greatest moments in God are in your yesterday. That ought not be. There ought to be a time today where you say, God has lit me up again. God has touched me again. I don't want it to die. There are many denominations today that could uh, dr- uh, that if you pulled on their denominational uh, uh, tag today, it would pucker back in the early 1900s. A little old church at Azusa Street, where the Spirit of God began to fall, and for over a year they had services every night with thousands and thousands receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And many denominations today can take their claim that that's where they began as a movement what happened to that flame what happened to that fire I don't want to let it go out I don't care what the culture says about what's acceptable any longer we need a move of God I love him I want to be in his presence Let it be noted on the first Sunday of 2017 that at the Apostolic Church we are hungry for a fresh move of the Spirit of God. Our greatest days are not going to be in a history book. We want to live them today. We want a fresh anointing of His Spirit. It needs to happen to you personally. I thank God for what the Lord did in my life in 1976. 
Man, was that a year. Bicentennial. If you don't remember that, you're young. If you do remember it, you're old. Man, we had American flag jackets. There were flags everywhere. I had a jean jacket that was an American flag. We weren't embarrassed about it then. Well, some were, I guess, but they'll always be around. 1976, the Lord baptized me with the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget it. I was in a baptistry tank. And when my pastor put me under the water and I came up, I can't even put into words what happened to me. It was like I grabbed a hold of a current that I, that, you know, heavenly current. I, 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 I started to say 240, but I don't think that's powerful enough. It, it just felt like fire in my bones. I, And I never forgot that, but God forbid that that be the milestone of my spiritual walk with God. I thank God that today he can blow on the flames and they can leap again. That my life can be on fire again today. And Israel, the flame died. Their spirituality, their ideals, their great hopes were now insufficient against all the realities of the hard work. There were extenuating circumstances, make no bones about it. They had bad seasons, bad harvest, disease were uh, thinning the ranks, and all of a sudden they got comfortable. Somebody were to ask me, uh, what is the spiritual climate of the church? This church in particular, I would say, in the last few months and maybe even 2016, we have battled against the spirit of comfort, a spirit of status quo, settling. God brought us into a great and wonderful place. God provided for us financially, but we have entered into a place of comfort. And, uh, and for that, God's stirring me, and I hope he's stirring you. But Israel got into a place of comfort. It seemed like the ideals had cooled. They were beaten in their mind and in their spirit. And all of a sudden, if you took the temperature of Israel, they began to be self-seeking, self-centered. Worldliness began to invade. Luxury and, and comfort began to invade Israel. Attitudes were changing. Suddenly, it was smart to come to terms with the times and just make the best of it. So nice homes sprung up. They got good jobs. They had nice homes to go home to. And every day they walked past the bare foundations of a revival that had started a few years ago. But now the weeds of neglect were growing over the foundation of the temple that they had laid. Oh, how bright the movement had started, but oh, how sterile they had become. I'd like to say to you today, I believe in 2017, we're going to see miraculous things. We're going to experience miraculous things. Let it go on record today that I'm one that says I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to sleep through it. I'm not going to miss church for it. I'm going to be there when it happens. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Oh, we can all recall when we were on fire. We can all recall when we went to work and told everybody about Jesus. We can all recall when we thought everybody wanted to be saved. (laughs) 
You know, I, I don't know about you, but 24 years ago, that's the way I started pastoring a church. I thought, man, in a few short years, we're going to win this whole city, and then we're going to go win Odin. Then we're going to go win Breeze, and we're going to go win, you know, here we are. We're going we're gonna to march, and we're going we're gonna to save everybody. And then I realized it was a little harder than I thought it was. <laughs> I realized people didn't want to get saved as bad as I wanted them saved. <laughs> I realize that when you pick up the weapon to fight the good fight, you're going to have an opponent. And the ideals quickly cool to the reality of the matter. But I remember times where I thought God could do anything. I remember moments when I came out of a prayer room and I felt like God could fix any impossibility. So what causes me to think, well, this is just the way it's got to be. Oh, no. I'm feeling the strength to try again. I'm feeling the strength to pray again. I'm feeling the strength to stand again. I refuse to ignore the foundation over there. I'm tired of leaving work and going to my nice house while the revival I thought was going to happen gets covered by weeds. Oh no, I believe God wants me to rise up to see him do a work. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I feel the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you what's evaporated out of your soul. A stern, sobering, and awakening question, what's evaporated out of your soul? Let me ask you another question. Do you remember the glorious sense of emancipation? Oh, yeah, boy, that went over good, didn't it? What I said was, some of you trying to figure out what I said. What I said was, do you remember the wonderful moment the world had to let you go and couldn't hold you any longer? Do you remember the moment God brought you out? (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Do you remember the joy of being an escapee? (laughs) No, you're not hearing me. Do you remember the thrill of coming out of prison? (laughs) The moment Jesus broke the chains? Oh, No, nobody could sit you down. Nobody could get you quiet. No, no, no. You were free. Oh, let's praise the Lord for a minute. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost, but I'm also feeling a little pushback. Come on, let's praise the Lord right now. I remember that old song. You may not remember it, but I remember it. Oh, they'd strike it up every once in a while in Alexandria. And the choir would get going and the soloist would grab the microphone and the piano player would be holding that chord to a mighty crescendo. And I may be mistaken, but I think it was old sister Ruby McKellar. She would, in her shrill and loud soprano voice, she would ask a question while the piano player was holding that mighty crescendo and she'd start by asking a question well tell me how did you feel when you came out of the wilderness and then the choir would answer I felt like running when I came out of the wilderness I felt like shouting when I came out of the wilderness I felt like rejoicing when I came out of the wilderness 
and it just go on and on. Must I remind you that Jesus brought you out of the wilderness? Tell me, how did you feel? Well, I felt like shouting. Well, I felt like laughing. Well, I felt like rejoicing. <laughs> it sorrows my heart. <laughs> To know that all over this community today, people are going to be controlled in their religious experience. They're going to be told what to believe and what to say and what they can do and what they can do and what they can't do. If somebody says amen, everybody in the church is going to look at them. If somebody decides to forget the status quo and say, I need Jesus today, you're going to have to do it in their nice little order. There's a very controlled way you do all of that. But may it be said in this environment that there is a no control zone here. That this is a place where you need to understand that Jesus wants to touch you and Jesus wants to move on you. And if you'll respond, there's no telling what he'll do in your life. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. Israel, they prospered in material and physical things. The world was sneering at them. The task was harder than they ever thought it would be. But here we are today, and we're in the same condition if we're not careful. That God has brought us out. He's blessed us. Somebody say amen. And God's been so good to us at every turn. I owe him so much. I owe him everything. I owe him everything. It doesn't matter what this culture's doing. doesn't matter what they say is appropriate in a church. And that doesn't happen anymore. And those gifts don't operate anymore. And miracles don't happen anymore. Let it be noted today that here's a church that's hungry for God. Not everybody's sneering at the supernatural. Not everybody's saying the gifts don't operate anymore. Not everybody's saying God doesn't answer anymore. I believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Luke chapter 21, and we're going to go there in just a minute. Luke 21, 28 is where we're going to go. If they want to get it ready, don't go. But in Luke chapter 21, and I hasten to a close. Jesus said, you need to learn a lesson from the fig tree. That's the chapter we're in. He began to give lessons on the signs of the last times, what would happen in the last days. He began with a lesson from the fig tree, and he began to expound on that. And he began to expound on the lessons of what would happen in the last of times. And he said, when you see the desolation spoken of by Daniel, and I mentioned it Wednesday night, then he also stated, and that was an agreement for the temple to be shared and sacrifices to, to begin to be, take place. And we're very close to that moment. And the Lord said it, Luke 21, Matthew 24, he said, when you see that happen that was spoken of by Daniel, know that the end is near. And then he said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, I want you to know we're getting close to that hour. Luke chapter 21, verse 28, though, he says, when you see these things to begin to come to pass, then look up 
lift up your heads. We ought to be happier now than we've ever been. Why? Because Jesus said when you see things getting worse, look up and lift up your head. We ought to be more joyful right now than we've ever been. We ought to enter 2017 with more joy than we ever had. Why? Because we're lifting up our heads. Because our redemption is drawing near. Oh, come on. It's time to lift your head. It's it's time to realize after a while it'll all be over. It's time to realize it'll be just a little while and we'll be home. In fact, I believe the Holy Ghost is calling me in 2017 to more head lifting services. More services where we're reminded that Jesus is coming back. We've taught you, we've had Bible classes, we have Sunday school classes, we have split sessions, and it seems like just as your pastor, <laughs> hello, people are more knowledgeable of the word than they've ever been, but something isn't clicking. You know why? Because we come to church discouraged, depressed, eaten up by the culture, self-centered, just teaching you Bible and having classes doesn't seem to be fixing it. But maybe if I get your head lifted up to realize that everything in this world is about to pass away. Maybe, maybe we can remind you that Jesus is about to come back. Maybe that'll get your eyes off this world. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. In verse 29, and when he spent, then he and he spake to them a parable: Behold, the fig tree and all the and all the trees. And when they now shoot forth, and you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise, ye, when you see these things come to pass, which I've just mentioned, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away, to all be fulfilled. Verse 33. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Mark it down, friend. What Jesus said is going to happen is going to happen. He said, heaven and earth shall pass, but my word shall not pass. Verse 34. And take heed to yourselves. Everybody say, listen up. Jesus said, when it's about to wrap up, you need to be aware of something. I need you to be warned about something. Take heed to yourselves. In the last times, beware, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and cares of this life. So that day come upon you unawares. The admonition for God's people was, he said, all this is going to take place. Make no mistake about it. There will never be a time when my word is not available. And then he said, beware. Everybody say beware. Beware lest at any time your heart get overcharged. Everybody say overcharged. Now, I don't know if you know what will happen if you hook up a 6-volt battery to a 24-volt charger. Yeah, we don't need a demonstration today. But that 6-volt battery is not designed to withstand that kind of power that's in a 24-volt charger. 
In fact, you're wanting to charge the battery, but what you'll do to it is the reverse. It will not get recharged. It will be destroyed. And the Lord said, beware that when all this starts happening that you don't get overcharged. With surfeiting, everybody say surfeiting. Drunkenness, everybody say drunkenness. And cares of life, everybody say cares of life. Now surfeiting, that uh, has, a, uh, has a connotation with, with uh, addiction, but it literally means headaches. Over in, headaches because of overindulgence. We are living in an hour of great pressure. Jesus said, beware, lest you get overcharged by living in a time of great pressure. Then he said, beware that you don't get overcharged by being drunk. And that doesn't just mean alcohol. That means being controlled by anything other than the Spirit of God. <laughs> Let me say, saints of God and guests here, it is possible for you to get intoxicated or high on other things. It is entirely possible for you to be more intoxicated with worldly things than you are with spiritual things. That you're more faithful to hobbies than you are to God. And the call from the Lord says beware in this last hour that you don't let the pressure of life overcharge you. And you don't get controlled by other things and it overcharge you. And then he said... With the cares of life. Everybody say cares of life. That says anxiety or worry or concern. Paul said in the last days men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Surfeiting, that's pressure on the mind. Drunkenness, that's pressure on the emotions. Cares of life, that's pressure on the flesh. Sounds like where we're living right now. And Jesus looked at men that had miraculous power. Jesus looked at men that had been walking around in his shadow for over three years. Listen, do you believe the world's changed in 2,000 years? Jesus looked at men over 2,000 years ago and warned them about being overcharged with pressure, with intoxication, and with anxiety. You better believe that his disciples needed to hear that 2,000 years ago. We need to hear it right now in 2017. I'm drawn quickly in my mind back to an old song of yesteryear. Maybe they could sing this because they didn't have anything else. They would sing, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. This, is the, this song came out of the depression. They didn't have anything, so it's pretty easy to sing, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. But we're in another hour right now. Somebody starts preaching about all the stuff we love and we get mad. We're ready to change churches. Hello. We're okay with the preacher as long as he speaks in Latin. And we read the formal reading and we just respond and we don't even know what we're saying. But when the preacher gets a little too close to home and says, hey, wait a minute, you're watching too many videos. Hey, wait a minute, you're spending too much time on Facebook. Hey, wait a minute, you're gossiping and it needs to stop. Uh, we're okay with all that other stuff. Read me a few scriptures, but don't bring it down into reality. But we're facing that kind of world today. 
we need to hear the warning of Jesus. And he said, be careful that you're not overcharged. Everybody say overcharged. I'm preaching to people right now that are facing depression. Oh, praise God. That's why these singers were singing and I... I, I felt like just skipping to the back of my notes because it has to do with the restoration of our joy. So thank you, praise and worship uh, singers, for, for being there before the preacher was even there. But I feel the joy of the Lord rising in my heart. I want to tell you, we're facing more depression than we've ever faced. There are more antidepressive medication uh, dispensed than ever before. There's an anxiety epidemic running rampant in our world today. I told you, and I should have had Chelsea speak, preach this part of the message, but uh, maybe she can next time. I encouraged you a few weeks ago to get a book and read it called Glow Kids. Glow Kids. Everybody say Glow Kids. It'd do your heart well. It'd do your mind well to read it. In this book... Uh, the doctor that wrote it after many years of study he talked about the effect of glowing technology and he says studies show that technology is not sharpening our mind but actually it's dulling it he goes on to state that the reason he wrote the book is because the designers of the eye culture which the people that made the iPhone the iPad that's Apple the, the founder of Google and he lists the found, founder of Wikipedia the uh, and, and a lot of the big names in the technology industry. He said what he noticed, what he noticed was all of those people would not let their kids have any technology until they were 12 years old. He said that as I began to examine their lives, many of the designers of this culture that's eaten away at our minds, they were schooled in no-tech or low-tech schools. People think, oh, we need computers and iPads at every desk. And the men that designed this world, their parents sent them to a school that would not use technology. That's amazing. But the, the designers of the eye culture said, we are in a war for your eyeballs. They are in an all-out competition to grab the eyeballs of every child. Dr. Kaderis goes on to say it's damaging verbal skills. He said we've done it, we've done, and he mentions multiple studies. He said we gave books to 130-something young men, 160-something young ladies, and he said they couldn't even read for about 20, 30 seconds until they began to get distracted. Say what you want to, but I'm rising to this pulpit to say I've noticed it damaging your verbal skills too. It happened in this service. Brother Kyle started this service out and said, let's thank the Lord for what he's done in 2016. And I started counting. It was about 18 seconds. And then we were done. Do you remember that? Everything got quiet. We can't even talk to God for more than 15 seconds. You know why? Because we don't have anything to hold our attention. But where is that the force of that old song that was written in yesterday, yesteryear? Shut in with God in a secret place. There in his presence, beholding his face.
the creators of the eye culture says it's damaging verbal skills. It's damaging attention skills. In fact, we're not careful. Preachers and religion will begin to fall prey to trying to get your attention. We'll have to have the smoke machine, the pyrotechnics, and we'll have to blast off fireworks in the house of God for you to even wake up and worship God. Sensitivity to stimuli is at an all-time low and decreasing at an alarming rate. Did you hear that? Sensitivity to stimuli. In other words, you're getting to the place where you're so dull you can't feel anything. And you think it's God. It may be your iPhone. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are losing the ability, Dr. Kadera says, to think logically and distinguish between reality and fantasy. We don't know what's real and what's not. Oh, God, we need a real touch. We need God. <laughs> we need to have real church. We need to have a real altar service where we encounter a real God. <laughs> Another phenomenon they're seeing is what they call GTP. I don't know if you've noticed it or even are aware of what it is. It's called game transfer phenomenon. It means they're involved. They're so involved in gaming that all of a sudden they're transferring, transferring gaming into real life situations. In fact, they could be sitting in a service totally entranced by what their next moves need to be in their game that they're not even sitting in front of. Must I make you aware that we have a network here at this church? And the Sunday morning it went online, there were young people while I was preaching that were trying to go on their game sites and parents saying, well, I just want little Johnny to be quiet. I let him do that so he'll be quiet. Uh, I think there's better ways to keep him quiet. <laughs> like put the fear of God in him. <laughs> Hello, that's another lesson. <laughs> People sitting in church, here kid, play this. You know what you're telling that kid? What's going on is not important. <laughs> no wonder we got adults playing through church. You know why? Because we taught them at a young age, play through church. Oh, we're getting real. Turn your neighbor and tell them I'm in a church that's getting real. What happens when anxiety of life is more than we can handle? I'm not talking about what the Lord puts on us. You can quote Romans 8, 28 all you want. The Lord, all things work together. Anybody believe that? Absolutely. But I also know that the Lord will not put on us more than, able, more than we are able to bear. But notice, the Lord's not putting some of that stuff on us. You quote that all day long about the burdens you're bearing, but most of your burdens are not ones the Lord put there. You put them there. He didn't tell you he would allow you to bear the burden that you put. He said, I will not put on you more than you are. I think it's time for you to start unloading some burdens. What is it? I've quoted a lot of old songs. I probably should have just sung this message today. <laughs> that old song says, take your burdens to the Lord and do what with them? Joy of the Lord is my strength. The pressure of life robs me of my joy. Somebody say amen. So today I think it would be appropriate on the first day of this year 
that we say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to lay down my, my discouragement. I'm going to lay down my anxiety. And I know it's real. Some of you are facing physical problems, and all it does is cause your mind to worry. But I want to tell you something. We're headed to a better place. We're headed into a better world where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. There's no more night. Oh, let's praise the Lord for a little while right now. Come on. Come on, get your attention deficit disorder out of whack. And why don't you pay attention to the Lord right now? Why don't you focus on Him for a moment? Come on, let's focus on Him for a moment. Lord, lift my eyes above the shadows of this world. The Bible tells us the Lord knows our frame. Everybody say, the Lord knows my frame. Isn't this a beautiful building? Those of you that were around when this building was being built, I thank God for the miracle that we have here. We're going to see more miracles. I thank God for this building. But I want to say to you today that what's holding up this building cannot be seen. No. I said what's holding up this building cannot be seen. You just see the outside of it. And let me remind you that the Lord says, I know your frame. I know how much you can hold up. Because he was there when the, when the foundations were laid of your life. And he knows where the beams are. And what's holding up this building cannot be seen. I want to tell you what, if it had not been for the Lord's love and his mercy, we wouldn't be holding up either. Some of you think, well, I don't have much to be joyful about or praise God about. Well, I want to remind you that the Lord's been good to you. And let me just give you a few things that I felt the Holy Ghost say to me to say to you today about 2017. About us being carried away or being overcharged with surfeiting, with intoxication, or with the cares of life. I think it's important that we live one day at a time. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. What in it? You know what that means? The anxiety of yesterday needs to be forgotten. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. In fact, the word says about tomorrow, take no thought of it. So yesterday is already closed and tomorrow I shouldn't even be thinking about. So if I have nothing to worry about in my past and I should not even be thinking about tomorrow, man, how happy should I be today? Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You can't look at tomorrow's problems with today's grace. There will be a shortage every time if you try to look at tomorrow's problem with today's grace. You can wear your head out by thinking, I wonder how bad it's going to get. I wonder how horrible it's going to be. My grace is sufficient for you is today's answer. I want to tell you, Jesus can bring you through any problem. He can give you joy in the midnight hour. He can give you strength right now for whatever you're facing. (laughs) 
You can look forward all day long and say, I don't know how I'm going to handle that situation. In fact, there are people in this church that if I told you their life story, you would say, I don't know how I would be able to go through it. But by their own admission, they would tell you, it's only by God's grace that I'm here today. God has promised you the grace that you're going to need for today. Another thing I felt the Holy Ghost say to me, I feel very importantly to say to you, letting go doesn't mean you're giving up. <laughs> Lord, if you take all this, I'll praise you. Some of you's idea. Some of you's idea. <laughs> Lord, I'm, I'm starting to talk like the folks in which I minister. I thought I'd speak in a heavenly language and I'm starting to talk like Southern Illinois folks. <laughs> Lord, if you take all this, then I'll praise you is what some of you have been saying. Lord, if, I, if I'm not depressed, I'll work. it's what the singers were singing about this morning. There's joy in this place. There's freedom in this place. There's liberty here. But some of you say, Lord, I can't because I still have this and I still have that and I still have this and I still have that. And you say, Lord, if you take this pain, I'll praise you. But I want to say to you, your praise, you praise God where you are and you'll realize that the God of the mountain is still God even when you're in the valley. We're going to be sitting here all day long if we say, Lord, if you take care of all this and all that, then I'll really focus on, no, we need to let go. That doesn't mean we're giving up. It means, Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm hurrying. I know I've been going long, longer than I want, longer than I have energy for because I'm wearing out. But I want to remind you, anybody remember Jacob? Yeah, Jacob, the Bible says he wrestled with he said, I've seen God face to face. People say it was a theophany or an angel. The Bible says it's the angel of the Lord. But all night long, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And the day was breaking. And he said, and the angel said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. Does anybody remember what happened right after that? That angel smote the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of his thigh was out of joint the rest of his life. Listen to that. Did you hear that? There was something that crippled Jacob for the rest of his life. And I want you to remember today, you that say, well, I don't know if, I, if I've got enough joy today. God never took the cane from Jacob. From that day forward, the Bible says he halted or he limped on his thigh. God never took his cane away. And some of you are waiting to praise God until you, God takes your cane away and you can run around the church. Why do we always focus on our bad legs? Why do we come to church and always focus on our lame leg? <laughs> Jacob walked with a cane the rest of his life, but he never lost his faith. I think it's time to start focusing on our good leg. <laughs> Wow, that's revolutionary to come to the altar and not give God a list of all of our problems, but to say, Lord, I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for my good leg. Well, I can't hardly get my breath, but I thank you, Lord, for my good lung. I thank you, Lord, for my good leg. I thank you, Lord, for my good eye. Come on, church. We don't have a right to be discouraged. God's been good to us. 
I don't know about you, but I'm going to start 2017 off with praise in my heart, with joy in my feet. Oh, come on, stand up and worship God. Come on, stand up and worship God. We're going to just have a time of worship. We're going to... We're going to worship the new year in today. Letting go doesn't mean I'm giving up. It means I'm saying I'm going to quit looking at my bad leg. (laughs) Well, I can't breathe. Yeah, but you know what? I can still say, Lord, I love you. Let me, let, me, let me remind you, how did Jesus deal with pressure? You may not be aware of this, but you, you remember the night he went into Gethsemane and he prayed three hours. You know the word Gethsemane means pressure? Pressure? In fact, he was under so much pressure that his sweat became as... Ain't none of you under that kind of pressure. What did Jesus do in that moment of pressure? Well, you know what he did. In that third hour, he said, I want this cup to pass. I don't like the pressure. If it be thy will, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He placed it in God's hand. And when he placed it in God's hand, there was peace from that point forward. When he goes before Pilate, he's not worried. When they uh, whip his back, he's not screaming. When they nail him to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. Now there's the terminology of a man that has let it go. Lord, it's yours. Now the Bible says his mercy and his love is new every morning. I've come to tell somebody everything's going to be all right. wonder what the message is for today if I could just you'd say well you could have got, preached it a lot shorter preacher this is the word I have for you today everything's going to be alright no that needs to settle on us today because there's a lot of things we're worried about there's a lot of things we think about and what does God command us to think about think about those things that are pure and lovely and godly and of a good report quit thinking about stuff you need to worry about everything's going to be alright my love is new every morning my mercy is there every morning what what do you do when the problems are bigger than you are Reminds me of a story of a father who was somewhat of a mechanic. (laughs) He was dangerous enough to take the motor out of the vehicle. It was laying in the middle of his garage. His little boy, he wanted, I guess, I don't know if he was demented, the dad was demented or what, but he wanted to teach his little boy a life lesson. He took his little old boy out there, standing in the middle of that garage. The father took that boy and he said, now, son... I want you to move that motor, push that motor across the floor there. The 
boy got down and he gave that motor a push or two and it wouldn't budge. Little boy turned around to his dad and said, Dad, I can't move it. And the boy said, Son, I've never asked you to do something you cannot do. I want you to move that, I want you to push that motor across the garage floor. I need you to get over there against the wall. He said, I want you to use all the available resources you have, son. I want you to do everything you can do to get that motor across the floor. And that little boy got down on his knees and he got down like a football player and he started trying to push that motor across the floor and that motor would not budge. He got up distraught and said, Dad, about three times he got, Dad, I can't, I can't move this motor. And the dad said, I've never asked you to do something you cannot do. Use every resource you have. Do everything you can do to move that motor. And that boy finally threw his hands down, tears running down his face, said, Dad, I can't do it. And he said, Son, you can do it. He said, Three times you've tried to move that motor across the floor and never once have you asked your daddy to help you. Let me ask you, how much are you trying to push? How much are you trying to make things happen? And not once have you ever asked your father to help you. I want to tell you, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. The doctor doesn't give you a good report. You can make it. Why? Because your father can help you push it. Come on, you lose your job. You can make it. Why? Because you've got a father. Come on, somebody ought to praise him right now. Come on, you've got a resource. You've got to help.